Well, good morning, Greenwich. Today is Wednesday. It is January 20th. Welcome to another edition of the Basement Academy. I'm here in the basement of my home in Haymarket, Virginia. Uh, today is Inauguration Day, and so we uh, rightly give our prayers uh, to God for a peaceful transfer of power uh, with all of the controversy and chaos that has been in these uh, last number of weeks. Uh, pray that this day would uh, pass peacefully and that we as God's people would seek to be a people of peace no matter where we fall out uh, on our political spectrum and political views. May we be those who seek first the kingdom of God and uh, be uh, peaceful uh, and gracious and wise and humble and courageous citizens uh, of this nation or if you're watching somewhere else whatever uh, whatever nation you might to be a citizen of uh, the psalm to read uh, this morning it just happens to be one of the five psalms uh, chosen intentionally for the study but it seems to fit also it, it has kind of an inaugural theme um, this is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament and the verse, the highlight verse, verse 1, is the most frequently quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? It's not the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> it's this from Psalm 110. It's a messianic psalm. Uh, Jesus quotes this in wrestling with the Pharisees. We read this in the Gospels. It's picked up in the book of Acts. It's picked up also in the book of, of Hebrews. This is Psalm of David. The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, Adonai. So Yahweh says to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Adonai is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. It's an interesting psalm, okay? I was reading the Hebrew words because it can be confusing because the word Lord as translated into English is derived from two different Hebrew words. The first, the Lord, Yahweh, that is, we would say God the Father, right? The one revealed to Moses at the bush says to my Lord, Adonai. Adonai is uh, spoken of or is, a, is one of the names of God. But there's a distinction here. Yahweh says to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies uh, a footstool for your feet. God the Father says to God the Son, Jesus the Lord, Adonai. Adonai often uh, would also be spoken of an earthly 
Lord, an earthly master. And so in the New Testament, this gets picked up. And this is part of where we derive our understanding of Jesus as equal with God. He's called Lord. And then the New Testament writers pulled, that they saw this psalm as fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. We affirm that in our Apostles' Creed. And so in his resurrection and in his ascension, uh, the writer of Acts saw this psalm as being fulfilled. Verse 4 also gets picked up. You are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. This strange um, figure who shows up early in the story in Genesis. Uh, Abraham runs into Melchizedek, priest of God Most High. And then Abraham pays tithes, uh, tribute to Melchizedek. But we don't know where Melchizedek came from. We don't know his father or mother. And so there's, it's, he's understood to have an eternal priesthood. And so Jesus, if he'd have been, because he, he was a priest, he was the great high priest, but he then would have had to have been descended from the tribe of Levi, because the Levites were the priestly tribe. But he's descended from the tribe of Judah, which is the kingly tribe. And so his priesthood is of a different order, not the, the earthly priesthood, uh, the temporary priesthood who would offer sacrifices repeatedly. But his is a different priesthood. I mean, this is some really wonky theology stuff. But interesting, Psalm 110 is the most frequently quoted psalm or passage in the New Testament. Interesting. Well, I wanted to read that, not because it's Inauguration Day, though it has some of that inaugural feel, right? Um, the inauguration of the king, uh, kingdom of heaven. But because in our study of a rule of prayer, we've been talking about praying the Psalms, and in this particular week, we're talking about the darker side of the Psalms, the Psalms of Lament, how difficult it is to pray these sometimes because they deal with with the darker palette of our emotions. Um, and we sometimes would rather avoid all that. And some of these psalms, the angry or sad psalms, um, um, we just find hard to pray. It's just, it's just that simple. So today I want to talk about the enemy psalms. What do we do with these psalms that talk about the enemies? And some of us, frankly, find these psalms uh, difficult uh, to pray. Daily praying the psalms is essential for the uh, developing and maturing of our lives in Christ and in God, our spiritual lives. Daily praying the psalms. And the five psalms, almost every, month, almost every day, you will encounter a psalm that uses the language of the enemy. And sometimes we recoil, sometimes they're pretty harsh, but what daily praying the psalms reminds us, we have enemies. You're thinking, I'm a peaceful person, I'm a gentle person, I have no enemies, to which I say, Okay, right. <laughs> this is why we need to pray the Psalms because in our naivete, we will think perhaps only of 
political enemies or uh, enemies of state, and I don't believe that's actually the way to pray these psalms. I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. So the scriptures do bear witness to the fact that the people of God have enemies. It's rooted all the way back in the garden in the Genesis 3 story when God is pronouncing a curse uh, upon uh, the serpent, the man, and the woman after eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, after the sin. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, that is deceived, the man and woman, cursed are you above the livestock and above all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He, that is the offspring of the woman, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And if you recall, Genesis 3.15, I've said, is the first preaching of the gospel. It's foreshadowing a human descendant of Adam and Eve, so one who's going to come to crush the serpent's head, but who will be wounded in the process. And we see that as fulfilled in the death of Jesus Christ. He crushes the serpent's head. He, he defeats the devil. He defeats death. He defeats sin. But he is wounded in the process, okay? But there is enmity. And then you recall in our backstory to the birth, uh, right before uh, Christmas, that um, Revelation chapter 12 story, where there was the dragon trying to eat this male child, to devour this male child that the woman um, gives birth to. That's the hostility. So from Genesis 3 to Revelation chapter 12, and everywhere in between, there is enmity between the enemy, the devil, and the people of God, or, or God. And so Genesis 3.15 guides us to an understanding that there is a malign force at work, a malign being at work that opposes uh, the people of God. Um, John chapter 15, <clears throat> let me just read a little portion of that. This is Jesus at the Last Supper, the Upper Room Discourse. He says to his followers, if the world hates you, he's speaking to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. You're thinking, the world doesn't hate me. We'll talk about that in a moment. I'm just... This, these are the scriptures, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter 6, the, the armor of God passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So now we're back to the one, the enmity uh, from Genesis 3.15, the one against whom uh, the, the Lord, the, who the Lord crushes his head. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so Paul is saying, our battle is not against other people, but there are these forces, these authorities, these powers, these, how does he say it? 
against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. So there are spiritual forces of evil that wish to do us harm. And then Philippians chapter 3. Um, Paul writes this, For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. How could anybody live as an enemy of the cross of Christ? I mean, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves the children. Everybody thinks Jesus is swell. No, they don't. No, they don't. We tend to live in somewhat of kind of a naive little bubble, <laughs> particularly if we've been at the church for a while, kind of in, you know, we're, we, 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 we lose friendships with people who are not Christians. Just over time, our, our, our friendships often are shaped by with the church family or, you know, extended work family, people who, who respect us as Christians, even if they themselves may not be. But friends, there are those who live as enemies of the cross, who despise the cross. Because if we preach the cross, what we're saying is then that, well, you've sinned and you need to repent and turn and be saved by Jesus and receive forgiveness. And people don't appreciate being told that they're sinners, that the choices they've made are wrong, that they somehow are on the wrong side of, of God's favor. And so there's a naivete I've observed in the Christian church over many years, not just Greenwich, but, but over the church, uh, over the years. <clears throat> and so the daily praying of the Psalms keeps us grounded in a reality that we do have enemies. And so the enemy Psalms are there for real. Now, David's enemies were those who were seeking to put him to death. It, it, even Absalom is also Saul, you know, was trying to kill David early on in the story, right? And then at some point, Absalom, David's son, rebels, kind of uh, uh, leads a coup against David. Okay, and so David's on the run. Um, and so the, the enemy psalms themselves come out of the actual context of people who are trying to kill David or the psalmist, but usually it's David in, that, in those enemy contexts. And it's understanding that People have hated David. People tried to put him to death. People have hated the Jews, what we call anti-Semitism. And people hate Christians, okay? Now, now this is true of other religions too, that there's, there's opposition. Again, the tribalism, it's the moral tribalism. We rise up, so there are enemies that run in all kinds of different directions. But we're naive to think that we don't have enemies. Okay, that's, that's my point here. And so let me talk about how praying the Psalms daily for some 28, 29 years now has helped me to bring those enemy prayers to a place of, how do I want to say this? Um, I've had to exercise my praying imagination around this because the tendency is to default to thinking cultural political enemies or you know merely the enemies of state that is those who you know back in the day you know uh, the Russians you know um, 
you know, those who, who, who wish to do the United States harm. I don't, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be attentive to that, but I don't think that's in our daily prayers. I think there's a better way to go. So for, let me share with you a fourfold pattern of understanding enemies. Now, first, I wanted to define my enemy. And so I came up with this working definition. I don't know. It was before I got to Greenwich. So it was probably 22-ish years ago. I was living in Boulder, Colorado. As I was wrestling with these enemy psalms, I'd been praying them, you know, praying the psalms for some five, six, seven years. And it was just like, ah, these enemy psalms are so harsh and they're hard and what's going on? And I wrestled through, well, who is my enemy or what is my enemy? That is Don Meeks. Okay, I'm not talking as a citizen of the U.S. It's hard for some, particularly for older folks, maybe, you know, who came out of that uh, generation who've gone off to war and I just never wore the uniform. And so maybe I would think differently. My father did, my brother did, I did not. But I have come to understand my enemy is anything that opposes God or the work of God in me. So anything or anyone <laughs> that opposes God is my enemy. Okay, so that's going back to the Genesis 3.15, the enmity between the serpent and, and Messiah or, you know, God. But anything that opposes the work of God in me is my enemy also. Okay, so anything that opposes God or the work of God in me is my enemy. And I'm trying to personalize this, okay? And so the four enemies I have identified is my sin. My sin opposes God. It, it, it is My sin will not be submissive to God. It resists God and it resists the work of God. God would have me to be an obedient child, be, be an obedient servant, an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ, following him. And my sin says, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. And so this is kind of that Pauline. There is something at work in me that opposes God, that, that leads me to do the thing I ought not do and keeps me from doing the thing I ought to do. And so the enemy Psalms become an opportunity to confess my sin, to examine my conscience and confess my sin. Okay. Secondly, <clears throat> there are generational sins, right? Generational patterns. The sins of the fathers get visited to the third and fourth generation. I've observed this in my pastoral work with families and others. Things tumble through families. Patterns of behavior, patterns of, of, of thought, attitude um, that, are, that are destructive. And so they are true in my own life. So things that my parents wrestled with, things that my grandparents wrestled with, there are things that come to me. I discovered this um, you know, in a not so happy way. Early on when I was a young uh, father, we had young children, and I would find myself <coughs> clearing my throat the way my father cleared his throat. And I used to hate the way he cleared his throat because when he would <coughs> you know, clear his throat, then he was getting ready to bark at me. <laughs> And I found myself unwittingly, I had never rehearsed it. That is, I hadn't practiced it in a mirror. I found myself <coughs> and then barking and roaring at my children in a way that was inappropriate. Okay? And it was like, oh my goodness, 
how is this thing in me? Oh, well, because the sins of the fathers get visited. So I routinely pray against the generational sins. Lord, break whatever family patterns may be tumbling into my life. And then my, my wife has a family, of course. And so, so there's generational patterns of sin that oppose God. And then I pray regularly for my children that they would not, Lord, break any curses, anything I'm doing that is harmful to the life of my children, and, and that I don't want to pass on to them. And so praying against the generational enemies, okay? All right? You have to do some work there, all right? Third, there are cultural patterns. There are cultural messages. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. When Jesus speaks of the world, he's talking about not God so loved the world, he wants to win the world. He's talking about that system of thought, that pattern of behavior that aligns itself against God, that resists God. That's the world that wishes to throw off the chains. Psalm 2 talks about that. Uh, the rulers of the Gentiles rage. They let us throw off its fetters. People want to be rid of God. The world wants nothing to do with God, which is why when we speak into the public square of a kind of a Christian view and understanding of marriage or of human sexuality or of the protection of life, people say, you Christians, get out of here. But all of these patterns also that we perceive you know, through the world that, um, you know, acquisition and wealth and money and things, that's what the real purpose of life is to have more and more and more. And, you know, television shows and movies have become increasingly decadent. Um, the, 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 the gender revolution that's taking place right now, you know, in the beginning, God made the male and female, and the world, the culture is saying, oh no, everybody gets to choose their own gender. And if you say otherwise, then you're a narrow-minded bigot. You know, all these kind of things, those, that's an enemy. This is the cultural tsunami, this wave that is washing across our land and is sweeping children and young people and others away into patterns of thought and behavior that oppose God and the kingdom of God and the work of God. That's our enemy. So the enemy Psalms become an opportunity to pray against the cultural tides and to become attentive. And this is partly why I do my reading. What are What's happening in culture that I can stand fast, okay? I can be equipped with the armor of God and stand. And then, of course, we have the enemy, <laughs> Satan. First uh, Peter talks about uh, our enemy, the devil, prowls about like a lion, seeking someone to devour. There is a devil. I believe that. The Bible teaches it. I believe it. Jesus believed it, <laughs> right? And so it's a fourfold way of understanding the enemy. My sin the generational sin, the sin of the culture, the way collectively these tribal uh, patterns and these cultural patterns that wish to throw off uh, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ and wish to deny and reject and renounce. And then, of course, the enemy who wishes to do us harm. He does wish to do us harm. He wishes to separate us from God. He wishes to separate us from truth. He wishes to separate us from the family of faith. Um, uh, and so 
those four enemies, as I read the enemy psalm, so the Lord Yahweh says to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, the enemies of Jesus Christ, the enemies of Adonai, a footstool for your feet. There are many enemies of Jesus Christ. My sin opposes him. The generational sin opposes him. The culture opposes him. The devil opposes him. And so <clears throat> the enemy psalms <clears throat> keep us alert. They keep us spiritually fit and vigilant. And the challenge is then that we uh, cultivate a humility, not, not an animosity, not a hostility, not that we... Now, you know, people talk about social justice warriors. I, I don't know if I like the phrase a whole lot because it's kind of pejorative. It's negative towards people who bear the image of God who are driven by a vision of social justice that may itself not be just. Again, go back to, that was probably what, March, April, or May that we were talking about some of that last year. Maybe we'll revisit that here soon. Um, I don't want to become kind of a righteous warrior um, I think that's part of what we saw actually at the Capitol. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to stir anybody up here, but two weeks ago uh, on January 6th, there were people who thought that the way to go about that, I think there were some uh, Christian people who were thinking that was a good thing. I don't believe that's what God calls us to. You, you may disagree with me, and, and I'll, I'll respect that, and hopefully you'll respect me. But I don't believe Christians are to go fight that way, you know, to, to trespass and to break laws and to threaten violence um, in a peaceful city that we're trying to, a, a, a peaceful society that we're trying to um, secure and protect. And so I want to be a spiritual warrior. I want to pray with diligence and vigilance and passion and intensity against these things. Our prayers have more effect than we're aware of, I'm sure. Um, so anyway, this is one way the enemy psalms are, are necessary because they keep us attentive to this reality. Let us not live in a naive kind of Pollyanna, Pollyannish way. Just rose-colored glass, everything's just going to turn out swell. There's a reason to say everything's going to turn out swell, but but let's not be naive about it. Let's not be too innocent. Okay, let, let, let's be wise. Innocent as doves, wise as serpents is what Jesus said. Okay? Innocent as doves, so let's live with innocence, let's live with humility, let us be wise as serpents. Okay, that's Jesus' words, not mine. And so the Psalms, I think, help us to do that. Um, now, I'm going to talk some more about the, the enemies tomorrow, uh, on Thursday, because there are going to be people going, yeah, but Jesus said to love your enemy. So am I to love my sin? Am I to love my... Yeah. So that's going to... I always... I say something and then I can anticipate where the pushback's going to come because I've been teaching this stuff for a number of years. But right now we have to resist. I'm trying to get you to resist the tendency of thinking that enemies are just political enemies or the enemies of state. I want you to start here, okay? 
we must start here because I believe we look at political enemies and we look at enemies of state as a way of deflecting having to wrestle with our sin and the generational patterns and the culture and the enemy himself. When we default only to political enemies, when we default only to thinking of enemies of state, that is other nations that, that may be hostile towards the U.S., that you miss, I think, what, what the Psalms are really trying to get at, your day-to-day. Um, I, I read an article, I don't know, a week ago, uh, it was in, in kind of written in the context of the, the siege at the Capitol. A, a wise Christian who said, "Where our action for all of us is really mostly in a 25-foot radius. Think about it. 25-foot radius. <laughs> These are the people I know, the people I live with, the people I work with, the people I see on regular basis. If we could all just understand and just give ourselves to loving and and living our best selves and best lives as Christians in a 25-foot radius. It goes better. When we concern ourselves unduly with people outside the 25-foot radius that we don't know, we're inattentive to those next to us and near to us. We're inattentive to our close neighbors. And then we concern ourselves with these kind of anonymous faces and voices and people out there that we never really get to know. So he said, pay attention to the 25-foot radius. And I think this way of praying the Psalms does that a little better. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about this tomorrow, okay? So I want to pick up and do a little more extended reflection on the enemies. Read, read. I want to talk about how to pray our hatred because this is often where, well, it can happen in here too, in the 25-foot radius. But what do we do with these deepest, darkest emotions of hate for others? So stay tuned tomorrow. Uh, Let's close with prayer now. Gracious God, we thank you for this new day. Thank you um, for this psalm that uh, is so often quoted uh, in the New Testament, seen in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we pray uh, your mercy. We pray that day when all enemies are are put under the feet of Jesus, when he rules over all. Extend the scepter, O God, this day. Extend the scepter of your word and grace and truth and life and hope and joy and kingdom. In this day in which there is a change of administration, O Lord, may it pass peacefully. Uh, We pray for President Trump as he uh, concludes his uh, term of office, that he might grow in wisdom, that he might uh, profit from whatever reflection uh, will happen in his life in these coming days. And we pray for incoming President Biden uh, and Vice President Kamala Harris. We pray for this new administration. We seek the peace of the city to which we have been carried, Lord. We pray that we as your people would be bridge builders and peacemakers, even though we may disagree, some of us, with uh, uh, policies that will be unfolding. We ask, O oh God, for your mercy upon our nation. And teach us, O oh Lord, uh, to pray against the enemies uh, of soul, even as we seek to be vigilant against such. And so for all listeners, all who are watching, all who have heard these words, Lord, I pray that you would join us together in Jesus Christ, 
with a, a, a unity and a, and a commitment to be a certain kind of people. And Lord, that you would protect us from our enemies, enemies of soul, our own sin, the generational patterns, against the culture and its messages and its, its, its tides and, and currents that wish to sweep us away into unrighteousness. And Lord, protect us against the enemy, uh, even Satan. Lord, we rejoice that greater is the one within us than he who is in the world. And so we trust the power and protection and grace of your Holy Spirit, even as we pray in the name of Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may he who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who extends his scepter of grace and truth, may he who sends the Holy Spirit keep you, bless you, know you, and love you this day and forevermore. Amen.